Okay, so you're saying, like, well, well, here's ultimately what happened. This month we flipped. We started with a big solution, which is the Tidewater Food Alliance, and through exploring how Bailey Monona got to that solution, we talked about some of the pain points, but you and I didn't get specifically uncomfortable about it. So when we were prepping just now, you were saying you know what your things are that you need to change, but you didn't tell me yet. No. It has been a season. I've hugged my son. I hugged my son, but I wanted to hug your son. Oh, goodness. I've cried about our future. I had complicated feelings and arguments about marching in a pandemic. And I literally tried to meditate away reality. I read some books. I got my senator on speed dial. But still, there is so much more work to do. That's why we're back. And this is Your Neighbor's Hood. The The Season season of of Solutions. Solutions. With Hannah and Jackie. What I'm talking about is what makes me uncomfortable in this food conversation. And and I, I like it. I'm not, not hesitant. <laughs> I feel hesitant, right? Like, you just like, I don't want to say these things, you know, certain things. But what makes me most uncomfortable is, is I've lived in neighborhoods that did not, that I did not realize were uh, suffering in this way with food because we always had a vehicle. You know what I mean? Mm. But when I think about the things that satisfied our immediate need, it was the candy store. There's always a candy store lady. There's always a corner store. And uh, you tend to go to what's easily accessible. So when I think about some of my feelings now, of saying like, yo, like you can make a, in my head, I'm like, yo, we can make a conscious effort to not patronize these places in ways and do the extra, you know what I mean? Almost, it's almost judgmental of people saying that the only thing that you can do is eat McDonald's and da, 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 like that whole list. I go through this mental gymnastics with myself over what people in these situations choose to eat versus what's available versus the policies and practices that have created this situation that make the healthy stuff an arm's more than an arm length away mm-hmm. and so then it's almost judgmental and another fact that it's like yo look at our health like if you know your kid is has diabetes because like i have a friend who like her kid is like she's like look the doctor already told us her neck was black. She's on the road to diabetes, but not doing anything. Like, so you know she's on the road to type 2 diabetes or childhood diabetes. Like, fix that. Didn't <laughs> mm-hmm. wait, you know what I mean? And it's, but fixing that requires you again to go outside of an arm's reach. So it's uncomfortable to hold in the hand, to, for me to hold in my hands, uh, the fact that sometimes I'm being hyper judgmental about just going the extra mile and just getting what you need to get realizing that like i said even though i may have been in a situation like this as a child we had a car always had a car Mm -hmm. that was never a thing i mean maybe for one blip we always had a car but also why we always got to be in fight mode (laughs) yeah 
but also we know how to fight because we've been fighting so long. So let's just go ahead and fight and not let that baby get type two diabetes. So like that's, I know that's a long road, <laughs> mm. but. Yeah, how can you deal with that thing that's happening right now and the reality of getting home from work and needing a meal versus fighting something that can feel so big and overwhelming? And if you, if you don't patronize the local place, am I hearing you correctly to think that then maybe that goes under? Is that your Yeah, name? that, you know, like if we all decide that we're not going to the convenience store, then mm -hmm. what happens to the convenience store, which is the closest, the mini mart, that's what we call it. If you don't go to the mini mart, then what happens to the mini mart? But the mini mart is not supplying my basic needs. Right or healthy needs, healthy choices. Mm -hmm. So I'm judgmental, that's it. It's like I get like, I want for, I'd be like black people, like we have to just fight and do what we have to do. But it's like you get tired of fighting, it is time to fix. It is actually time to fix. But it's like in that fixing, you can't be, and I'm talking to myself, don't be judgmental of the lack of fight and use of convenience of people that are just trying to live because X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. That judgmental voice in me, I have to like tell it to like, shut up, <laughs> mm -hmm. shut up. Because you don't know what that feels like as an adult. I know as a child, you know, food is something that my mother and anybody knows my mom, she stays in the kitchen eight hours a day. Like she, food is something that she will make sure there is an abundance of. She will go miles for good food. Like that's, but that's her. We may not have lights or hot water, but we got food. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where I have to get over myself and judging people and health outcomes. And, and I'll say that I know I'm going on. I'm just saying like I even deal with that like with my own father. And I feel like he I feel like he killed himself. He died from cancer. Right. So that judgment so person in me is like you could have done the things that you needed to do to not have cancer and not leave me at the age of 18, 19 years old with all of this as the oldest child. Like you could have done things differently. You could have. You know what I mean? But in the same token, like I don't know if he started smoking. He started smoking when he joined the military in a very stressful time, Vietnam, where like, what if that was his stress relief? And that was just his thing. Like, it's hard sometimes when these issues to be both, excuse me, it's not hard. It is a conscious effort to be both empathetic, pragmatic, without being, a, you know, without pragmatism rooted in white supremacy, because that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's a it's amazing because I would have thought that we would have had very different perspectives on this topic, but actually my discomfort is very similar to yours. It's like how do I help without being judgmental, without being a savior, all these things that get in the way of just going and messily doing it because I'm under the idea that I just want to do the right thing. <laughs> and as you told me earlier, there is no right thing. What did you say about the math? <laughs> I was like, oh, doing the right thing is, it's not math unless you're solving for an irrational number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not. 
What about you? You go elaborate. What is making you, what makes you uncomfortable about this conversation specifically or like? Hmm. I guess you and I by now have had so many food conversations. We got to have one um, through a just dinner in association with the Mocha exhibit that's up and running now called Nourish. And in that conversation, as came up again in our talk with Bailey, there were just things that kind of hit me of ways that I'd been judgmental about uh, thinking that the right way was to be more environmentally friendly. And since those conversations, I've really sat with myself on thing on food choices that I make and what privilege it is to get to make the choices that I'm making. And I've not always been in this situation in life. I've not always been with, with as much financial privilege as I have now. So it has never left me, but it can be, it's easy to be lulled into being numb and inactive mm. on these things. Because mm. when I drive out of my neighborhood, I'm choosing which neighborhood, I could walk and still have a, a question about which grocery store to go to. <laughs> yeah. So it's an, it's a, I feel embarrassed. I feel embarrassed about my disconnection that was done by design, you know? So if you just let yourself be carried by the current in, in, it sounds like in either one of our worldviews, then you can be lulled into something that's not for the greater good mm -hmm. and you made me think of like a little baby seat where you're rocking somebody's rocking you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you get rocked in your comfort until you fall asleep mm -hmm. yeah yeah this is a bit of a tangent but have you watched any of that netflix show high on the hog i did i've watched all of them except for one uh-huh and what was your response um it made me understand why I love okra so much. <laughs> As a kid, like, I'm just telling you, I would have somebody get a bag of frozen okra and, like, just tear it up. And it can't be too mushy. I mm -hmm. like it al dente with a little salt and pepper. And, like, that is perfect. Maybe some garlic in there sometimes. But mm -hmm. I definitely have a love affair for some okras yeah yeah so my husband was born in russia so for him there's a real for anyone but but i particularly see it in this relationship there's just this real connection to the food the food is what makes you that is like you know number the biggest part in the food pyramid or in the cultural pyramid i guess of connection it's such a big part of it and so when I was interested in watching High on the Hog, he kind of made some comment like, well, you know, because of this and because of because I have an affinity toward or an interest in things like this that I might be particularly interested. in." And I said, but it's really my culture, actually. I mean, not not mine. Um, I'm not a direct descendant of Africa. I'm not trying to claim that. But I did grow up in the South. So the things that I love 
the things that became part of my culture, I have to acknowledge as being African. I have a banjo. I'm trying to learn the banjo. <laughs> I grew up eating grits and okra and pork and, and collard greens. And all those things are, for me, like, the became a, are a part of my culture. And so if I don't understand the roots of that, then I can't acknowledge it. And I'm not trying to take it as mine. I'm just acknowledging that that those origin points are really significant to me having grown up in North Carolina. I love that you said that because part of what that documentary did for me was acknowledge the influence on American culture. So it, it was, while it was about African, it was definitely about American culture, talking about macaroni and cheese. So if you guys haven't seen this, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's also sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's also an emotional sort of, it has an emotional pull. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hold back any punches on anyone from, mm -hmm. you know, from the shores of Africa to the founding fathers. It definitely pulls a lot of it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's uncomfortable. It's not, it's not fun to be sad <laughs> no but you I don't think that we can move forward without moving through that mm -mm. and like you said southern culture is heavily influenced by by black by African culture heavily mm -hmm. heavily so yeah <laughs> and rice I'm just gonna say and that rice. rice yeah rice and yeah. I had no idea about the rice really yeah, so we recommend that as a way to educate. But, you know, Jackie, I still point back. It was just such a significant moment when you and Christina hosted the conversation about yoga and whiteness. And one of the main points that I took away from that conversation was to diversify your feed and what comes in. And so diversifying my following of farmers has been such a way to educate myself. It's one of those things that's. it takes real work and it takes real discomfort. It doesn't cost a thing. But, you know, following Detroit Dirt or oh, yeah. Amber Passion Tam. Murray. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gave me insights I didn't have before. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's it. it I think there's something to informal and social learning that um, I think we need to tap more into. It's, it's just a great way to allow you to process things not under pressure. Mm -hmm. So when you're going through your Instagram feed or you're going through your Facebook feed and you're casually, socially learning these things, you get to sit hopefully with yourself in that, right? And if you're doing the thing that you're doing, doing it with intent, then I think it allows some reflection without the fear of anybody judging you because you're there. And then you get to choose what, how you process that. Do I walk to something else that helps me? Like, yeah, diversifying your feed is like, yeah, it's, I think it's crucial. I, in, in, if, you're, if you're a user of the social medias. <laughs> <laughs> and, and side note, I've tried to grow okra, and, uh, which I recognize as a privilege, but if I were dependent on that okra for survival, I would I would have a long way to go. I, I grew like one okra at a time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
And I'll say, as we've sort of taken this food journey, I told you, like, I think food just kind of came into my sphere as a, you know, as a justice thing. Really looking at food justice as racial justice and as a form of equity is is new in my lens of work. Mm -hmm. And as we do this, I'm learning. I feel like every step of the way, I I try not to be an angry person, but I realize like none of this is an accident. (laughs) Yeah. It's, 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 it, it truly is this whole like concentration of power and privilege. Cause like you said, like, I'm not, you're not a glutton for, for, um, for choices when it comes to grocery stores that, um, that affects our social, mental, environmental health. And it's disproportionate to people of color, specifically black people. And as we learn, as I learn more about how it's on purpose and how expansive it is, I feel like it gets daunting, but then I'm also hopeful as people start using that language of this, we are going through a food apartheid, which means there's something we can do about it as Mm -hmm. people and with policy. Mm-hmm. Get a little hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's head towards that hope. <laughs> <laughs> you see me running? I'm running to hope. Running on hope. Yeah. On the hopeful end. It's a food ar- apartheid, which means that we can do something about it. So there, and the, and the good news is for any of these things, they're not new. The problem is not new, and it's always helpful for me to remember that the problems that we're sitting in were created over a long stretch of time, Mm -hmm. and I remember very clearly when we first met Jackie, you saying that your ultimate goal of this podcast was just to move that dial forward as far as you could, not to solve all the problems or make them go away, and I think, I mean, maybe it's um, white supremacist culture or something to seek perfection or a quick solution or to get out of the discomfort by solving something really quickly. But all that to say, people have been working on this. People have cared about this for a long time. Jackie, there's one that you told me about recently that maybe you're the best person to talk about, which is Tribe Collective. Oh, the Tribe Collective. The Tribe Collective is celebrating Black excellence, specifically in in farming. And so it's Tribe collective with the K. They come in and they, they've done markets, they do training. They are just an amazing organization that is just trying to push the needle forward. So they just want to be a, a change agent and they want to do that through health and wellness, specifically food for all generations. And so um, I had the great fortune of meeting them at one of the events that we, they were having in the community and they do pop-ups. So it's all about a celebrating of not only the culture, but uh, creating culture. I'm saying by culture, I'm like, I guess I was gonna say creating horticulture, but maybe not that, but But just, yeah, being a part of uh, the community and bringing uh, agricultural opportunities to folks is what the Tribe Collective does. That's right. And what I like is on their website, which we will link, and it's tribe collective with a K dot mm-hmm. org and um, t- stands for Together Reaching Infinite Black Excellence. 
If you scroll right down, there's a way to join them. There's a link to their community events. You can donate or you can volunteer your time. So that's a solution that you can be a part of. So you don't have to take on the whole weight of worrying about fixing the problem. You can step into people who are already doing some work towards that. Mm-hmm. And so another, just to be a broken record, you also introduced me to Feast. Do you want to tell a little bit about oh, Feast? Oh man, I love Feast. Can I just tell you? So Feast Virginia is about food, education, access, support together. That's what it stands for. And Feast is a parent organization of something else that I think is really dope. Um, And their deal is about food education, right? It's access to quality food, but also understanding if somebody gives you a squash, do you know what the heck to do with it? So, so Mm -hmm. much food is wasted because folks don't necessarily know what to do with it. And so Feast is all about creating recipe cards, to help you, you know, picking something that may come into a a food, what do they call them? CSAs? Uh, Mm -hmm. What does CSA stand? Agriculture. There you go. Like, I can't even remember. But the woman who runs it locally here, Bev Sell, is like a huge food activist in a way that she had a farmer's market. She's allowed, uh, created space where food now, if you go to our local PBS station, which is WHRO, there's a weekly cooking show called Cooking with Jay where he's taking some of these recipes that they have. And the really cool thing about what Feast does is they teach you how, they'll teach folks how to cook for under $1.25 a serving. So to get involved with Feast, you can go to feastva.org. You can get on the list to become a Feast instructor because there's a whole course that you can go through to become one of these folks that go into communities and teach. You can help stuff packets so next week we'll be putting recipe cards into bags that'll go to all the children across our city's uh, public schools to take home with some food and they're just an all-around great partner and the parent company is out of california where they're doing some amazingly great things as well and we'll get to that one and it's tasty too i think like lest it lest it be ringing in your ear as a dollar 25 a serving that can't be that tasty Think again, try out their recipe cards. The fish tacos that we tried from them are one of my on rotation family favorites. Girl, fish stick tacos, y'all. Like these things were so good. We made them, I we made them and we tried them out. Took them to neighbors. Yes, in COVID because we love each other as neighbors. We trust each other's food. And the neighbors were like, when are we doing this again? I didn't make them, what, two, a, 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 a nine and a 10-year-old made them? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so good, mm-hmm. so good. So, yeah, sorry, yeah, you talked about the fish stick tacos. I had to take it there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how can we talk about food and not salivate a little bit? Do <laughs> you see? If we're doing that, we're doing it wrong. <laughs> so you were saying, though, that they are the parent for Every Table University, which I had not heard of before. What's Every okay, Table So about? Every Table is like this social enterprise that they want to do the whole idea of removing equity in food by making healthy, affordable food that's convenient and accessible. And so there's this guy who's another person that I think is amazing to follow, Bryce Fullen, but he's helping with this franchise of bringing every table into the LA community. And I think they're expanding to New York. I'm, I'm like so hoping that they come down our way with all the stuff that we have going on. But 
every table itself has a university where it's full-time, fully paid. It provides on-the-job training, like business, finance, marketing, all these different things so that the people that are of the community can come small business of every table, the store, which mm-hmm. is, has employment and education programs and provides fresh food, even has like, you can order food from this place, fresh food. So like they're doing food justice, employment justice, all mm-hmm. the things, racial justice, all at the same time through a, a franchise model. I love that. So dope. And so while it's not something local to us or maybe to you, it's definitely an idea. I think about the partnerships with universities that can be made to bring these to some communities. Mm -hmm. Um, The food activists in our area talk a lot about hubs, right? Mm -hmm. And like, and this being a great model to not only create these hubs and these places, but use those people most disproportionately affected by these things to power these things. So I thought that was a really great a solution just to sort of dive into and you can go to everytable.com um bryce is on uh linkedin we'll put all this information in the show notes but it's a great model that yeah it, it makes me think of the fact that when we talk about these problems we're always like ah they're all so interconnected food you can't talk about food without talking about employment without talking about transportation without talking about the environment but <laughs> the solutions can be solution multifaceted solutions as well yeah yep 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 absolutely it's it's a huge opportunity as bryce said like this it's about economic mobility empowerment and ownership for people that have been divested in and that's essentially as we solve each of these this season of solution problems we just see that connectedness and how one hand can feed another Many hands, girl, many hands. Mm-hmm. What about you? What What are some things that you've looked into that some solutions that you've found? Well, there's another one um, locally called VB Scratch. So we didn't even talk about food that we're feeding our kids when they go to school. So this is local mm-hmm. to Virginia Beach, but their mission is to get fresh from scratch food fed to our kids in schools. And the coolest part is that a lot of these schools have gardens that are run by the students. And then the food that's produced in those gardens can be part of what is served to them at lunch. So that's about understanding food origins. And I love that that is, uh, I love that organization here. And I'm really excited because there's so many learning opportunities in a garden um, beyond, beyond just the aspect of food. So another thing that I'm doing, I'm, I'm raising children who are, growing up with access to all these grocery stores that we mentioned, which is so um, not how I grew up. And so how do you, you want the best for your kids, but how do you do that, but also make them aware citizens in the world? So, um, and also we've had listenership ask us about more resources for kids. So in response to that, there's two books that I'm going to recommend here, but there's tons of resources out for kids. If you just, a quick Google search will yield some more, but ones that I've particularly loved, books for kids, Harlem Grown, which is a real story about a man who created a garden across from a school in an empty lot in Harlem. And then another is Maddie's Fridge, which helps to introduce the idea of food insecurity, which I think is particularly important for kids who aren't experiencing that to be able to start that empathy piece early. And then shameless plug, but I think why not? What are we even doing if we don't mention the fact that a lot of ways that uh, your neighbor's hood 
gets out of our mics and into the community is by hosting just dinners. Yeah. So we host some, um, but we also are available. If you want to call us in and have a conversation amongst your people to break bread and counter hatred, we do it over a meal. Here for it. Yes. It's a low lift. We are ready and willing to come to you. And if we're not exactly your jam, there's lots of other people who are doing this that you could engage to come to your event. But if you're listening, I hope we are your jam. Hope we're your pick. Look, make, put us in the first round. Okay. If you're (laughs) drafting, your neighbor's hood needs to be a first round draft pick, at least top five. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So hire us for just dinner. Have us in. Yes. Collaborate with us. We'd love to do that. Definitely. So that's all about ways that people are getting engaged on the grassroots level. Yeah. But it's it's also important. I think it's important to mention that as we as people do the things, like we can continue to do the things. Community service is only going to get us so far, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to be doing this forever. The head of the food bank locally said, you know, if I had it known we'd be doing this this long, I think I would have done things differently. A lot of these organizations that are working with these sorts of things want to get out of the business, meaning they want the systems to work. Mm-hmm. And looking at this as a food apartheid forces us to look at the whole food system to take into account race, income, geography, and policy, right? Mm-hmm. We have to recognize that, that most of this was done, again, by design. And so while we have the people doing the things, we also have to have the policies that break down and build up the systems that prevent things like, like this from happening. And so that entails showing up at smaller elections, not not the big ones, knowing your candidates and being in conversation with them about these topics. Yep. And and rec and also understanding not everybody's going to be in on this and really sort of understand these things. But if you're into that system, you, you get the people part and you want to get in the policy part, understanding how planning plays a role in this, how zoning plays a role in this, how your Department of Economic Development plays a role and community development plays a role in providing justice, specifically in this case, food justice. That, mm-hmm. that is, we can't legislate morality but we can legislate functionality. So like, that's what we do. We don't want to create food mirages where people can't afford what's right in their backyard. So they're having to go all the way like that's. Ooh, wow, <laughs> I haven't heard of that term before. Wow. Yeah, a food mirage is like where we, we have these nice places right next to sometimes affluent and not so affluent neighborhoods. But there's only one part of the neighborhood that can purchase from there. So it looks like there's food there, but I got to travel all the way down the road to get the price that'll fit my household. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a thing, too. So what does that look like? And that doesn't mean, you know, not knocking these putting dollar stores. That doesn't mean that just that means mm-hmm. we need to build communities, which is through governance. That's how we build that have the amenities that service the masses not mm-hmm. just certain classes mm-hmm. of people so so 
that that's a gamut then. That's a big spectrum of ways that different people can get involved. So we always try and take care to list something you can do politically, something you can do with your dollars if you have them, something you can do with your hands and your time. So it doesn't matter which way you get involved, but take one step, do one thing, and then let us know what you did. Yeah. What you doing over there? <laughs> how you fix it? But that's how we got where we are. We pay, we're looking at what other what's working in other places and trying to do the best in our corner of the world. None of us are going to change the world. We are going to change our corner of the world. And we're happy that you come to our neighborhood to get the 411. I just did my um, 80s rap guy thing. <laughs> right. Like, like cool Modi, like, yeah. Big old arm crisscross. Arm crisscross. <laughs> yeah, boy. Flavor Flav, that's what it was. Yeah, boy. That's what we doing. And I'm very excited to bring to you guys Jasmine Burroughs for Food That Fits You, who's going to be our Hoods Goods this month. And she is a black dietitian who is um, really, really doing the thing. And her brother is a sommelier. Okay. Um, you can follow him on Instagram at afro underscore som, and that's S-O-M-M. And she is food that fits you, like the letter U, on Instagram and Facebook. So more details coming about them in our upcoming Hoods Goods bonus. Yeah, and don't hesitate to go check out Bev and VB Scratch, VB Tribe Scratch, Collective, Tribe Collective, Every Table uh, University, Bryce, yeah, Bryce Fulton. I hope I'm saying his name right, and Bailey, and Bailey Manona, who's, who's doing that Food Policy Council. There's something for you. Yeah, so go get it. Yeah, go get it, and also go get to liking this episode. Okay, go get to subscribing. Go get to reviewing. The lowest left is just like, rate, subscriber review. Tell me, girl. Tell, Tell me, girl. your friends. Yes, we're so happy to have you here and thanks can't for wait listening. To see you next month. Stay open, stay curious, and make it a great day. Closer to history. Peace out, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, Non Scouts, Non Binary Scouts. All the, thank you, yes, thank you, yeah.